episode number 29 of Homesteads and Homeschools is underway. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for checking in. Thanks for hanging with me. Um, like I said, today's episode number 29, which means you can find all the show notes, all the links, everything we talk about at homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash 029. Um, I hope everybody's hanging in there. I know it's been a, a busy week, a very eventful week, um, last two weeks, I guess. I, uh, I won't get into it because, uh, well, maybe, I, I don't know. Um, there's just so much to get into that, uh, in, in our world today. And, you know, it's, it's just hard. Sometimes it's hard not to, uh, not to discuss some of these things, not to, uh, to get into them. So, um, I, I will, but before I do, I, I have to figure out what that noise was. So, um, bear, bear with me a second here. Oh, Hey, Hey, red worm. What, what's going on? Uh, hey, Mr. Ben, I, I just I heard you were going to be talking about red wiggler worms today, and, and I thought I'd stop by and, and check in and say, hey, well, well, hey, man, how'd you get out of the bin? I just climbed up that wall. I, I heard you talking to Mr. Bentley Christie not too long ago, and I figured I'd start the journey then, so here I am today. Well, that, that, that's a pretty impressive knock. Um yeah, so I was just going to get into it about all the, the stuff that happened this week. Now, Mr. Ben, you don't want to do that. You don't want to bore these fine people out there listening with those all that nasty talk and all the conspiracies and all of that. You don't need to do that. I I guess not. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I got to get you back in your bin because you're looking all dusty and dirty and dried out, and that's no good for him. So, um, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> what do you got to say? Well, you see, I just wanted to introduce Mr. Bentley. You see, Mr. Bentley's been doing this worm thing for some time now, and he's got an amazing website, redwormcomposting.com. You should really go check it out. Yeah, I know. We're, we're going to get into all that at the end of the show, man. You don't need to, to blow my spot now. You're going to put you on a hook. You're not quiet. Well, you wouldn't want to do that. I'm, I'm not very big. I know some people like to use me for bait, but I just like to eat compost and and make castings and and help your plants grow you don't want to hook me i yeah i guess not i, I don't know but, but oh man all right so um yeah what do we know well mr bentley he's been doing these worms for some time and he came on today to talk about the basics of it and we're going to get into it, right? You you two was going to get into it. And uh, I know at the end of the show, I heard you guys talking that you might do another another interview. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll we'll probably do that sometime in the future. Um, yeah. You, you really got to get into that entrepreneurial business of this. You see, we worms, we're money. It doesn't look like money. We don't feel like money, but we're money. You can make lots of money with us. I think you're getting a little exaggerated there. Lots of money. I mean, maybe for some folks, but uh, I haven't figured that out yet. But of course you haven't figured it out yet. It's because you're not nice to us. You feed us to the, the turtle. You don't feed us enough. Sometimes you feed us too much. You see, Mr. Ben, there's a little bit of a science that goes into this. But it's not that hard. Don't don't get people all wound up. It's It's not that hard. I mean, you know... If you got a bucket and some space, you can do this. Yeah, but don't don't make it sound too easy. We're, we're difficult, us worms. Just relax. You're a worm. It's not that big of a deal. Get back in your box. Oh, okay, well, thank you. Thank you for, for letting me speak for a minute, Mr. Ben. I really do appreciate it. And I hope all your listeners out there will go check out Mr. Bentley Christie at, at redwormcomposting.com and, uh, and maybe pick up some worms from the nice man. Uh, I, I agree. 
I agree wholeheartedly. But uh, yeah, so let me let me put this guy back. No, no, not not so. Be gentle with me. Be gentle, Mister Ben. Oh, red worm. Well, okay, he, he's back in the box now. I, I apologize for all that, but uh, yeah, I think he said it all. So uh, let's go plant those liberty seeds with Mister Bentley Kirsty. talk a little bit about your your background in terms of um how you got into worms and and that sort of stuff yeah well i mean, I mean it literally started with a worm bin uh, i was working at an environmental environmental consulting firm uh, it's a scary thought but it was almost 20 years ago now and i heard about a co-worker of mine she had this bin under her desk she would like toss her lunch scraps into this thing, and these worms would turn this stuff basically into this rich compost. So I had I had always been a, a biology nerd. I'd been a nature nut all my life, and like, this totally captivated my my attention. You know, I you know I'm sort of familiar, vaguely familiar with red worms. I'd been an aquarium hobbyist and and these sorts of things. So probably more from a a live food perspective but basically what it came down to is i had to see this thing so so i asked her you know can i can i take a look you look at this bin on your desk and you know literally you know it sounds cliche but the rest is history i just i saw it's funny it's funny thinking about it now because you know i'm this is 20 years of experience now that i have under my belt looking back i'm like oh my god she, she's doing a terrible job with that, <laughs> that bin it was like literally this recycling bin full of what looked like dirt it was probably peat moss and worm castings and whatnot but this little tiny congregation of red rooms they were just like gathered around this little apple core like sadly just you know like desperate for some moisture and some nutrition but at the time it was just like this is the most amazing thing that i've ever seen like these worms are taking this garbage this apple core that somebody would have thrown in, in literally in the garbage and they're converting it into this incredible compost this soil in this bin and i was like she saw just how amazed I was and how enamored I was. And she literally insisted <laughs> that I take some of her wormy material home with me. And, and that's how it all began. Like, I, I don't know if I started that exact same day, but I'm sure within a few days I had a, a little tiny bin started. And as you can probably guess, <laughs> things kind of escalated from there. Spiraled out of control. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So did you, um, I guess what, why did you decide to grow them then? I mean, it was it were you still feeding them to uh, an like I don't know, I guess aquarium stuff. I don't even know what you call that. Um, but like, were you using them as as a food source for for animals, or why did you decide to just start growing them? Yeah, that's a good question. But the funny thing is, I mean, the times when I actually attempted to do that was back before I had any kind of concept, any kind of knowledge about actual worm composting literally and this is i'm sure a lot of people can relate to this like they get this idea in their head that you know i'm going to raise worms this is going to be cool and literally i went out to my garden i dug a bucket of dirt 
and worms, put the worms in it. And I just thought that if I put this bucket in my house and I maybe put some kitchen scraps or something in it, that these soil worms that I got from my garden were going to, you know, turn into this crazy productive worm bin. And this is a very common misconception. And of course, that failed completely miserably. And that was that. But the funny thing is, once I got into the actual the you know, composting side of things, once she had given it to me, I I just started reading more about it. I started learning about, you know, why a lot of people actually do this. And you know, it wasn't long before I kind of fell in love with these these worms. And I, and I wouldn't even have dreamed of ever adding them to an aquarium or anything like that. So it's sort of a, a funny thing. So it was very quickly, it became, a, you know, I'm learning more about composting. I'm learning about like why I'm actually doing this. So it was sort of more about let's see if we can raise these worms. Let's see if we can produce these worm castings. And that was probably my initial focus or well, other than just keeping the damn things alive yeah <laughs> which which wasn't that easy for the first uh, first few weeks that's for sure it, it's uh it's funny you, i had totally forgotten um but as a kid i remember now like keeping worms my parents had a root cellar and we used to go out at night i, I grew up in like upstate new york um you go out at night and you, you pick the night crawlers um throw in a bucket and we used to be, we could keep them alive in the root cellar for a little while with some, uh, some worm bedding. And I, I, I don't know what it was. It was almost like a paper Kleenex torn up and, you know, you know, the, the padded envelopes you rip open and you throw some coffee grounds in there and they'd, they'd survive for a little while. But, um, I never really thought about that. Like you, I, I assume people probably just grab them out and, and of course we were using them for, for fish bait. So, you know, the life expectancy wasn't that long anyway. Um, but, yeah, well, that's, that's extremely common. I mean, exactly what you just described. And especially with something like a night crawler, like a lot of people are into the, the fishing and, mm-hmm. and, and I'm sure I've probably done that at some point as well. It just, you can collect them very easily. And so the assumption is, you know, an earthworms and earthworms and earthworm, you put it in a system and they take that, that good information that relates to worm composting, like oh, the coffee grounds and the paperweights, everything you told me, it's like, oh, that sounds like a good worm bin that you're setting up. But it's unfortunately, it's the wrong worm. Like those are what's known as anisic worms. They're like the deep burrs that go way down and they, they need cool temperatures. And it's a very different sort of situation. But, you know, like you say, if you keep them cool, keep them in an environment, they can probably last for you know, I don't know, even months potentially. Yeah. But in terms of breeding and getting high densities and exactly, you know, what you want to do with worm farming and even worm composting, it's not quite, not quite the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. They, and I don't think we ever kept them around for that long because they got used that, that fast, you know? Um, but so how did you, what, what happened to your first batch of worms? Did they make it through or did they end up biting the the bullets it are... was it was touch and go it was close it was <laughs> within that first week now I, like i said i mean i was on this is like i said 20 years ago or something so i mean the internet was in existence but in terms of the actual information resources it was somewhat limited in comparison to now and so i mean i was learning as fast as i could but I'm sure it must have been within the first few days and I wasn't thinking about it. I I knew, okay, food scraps in the bin, the worms are going to eat it. And I dumped probably three quarters of a pot of cooked rice into this tiny little sterilite, little tiny bin. 
And it, I'm, I'm shocked looking back now that that didn't kill them off. But basically what happens, any kind of starchy waste especially, there's this potential for congealing and turning into this anaerobic mass, which in the case of something that's sort of starchy and sugar rich, it can ferment. So basically what happened is I had this, well, it heated up for one thing, and then it started to ferment. And I ended up with what are known as white worms. These are these little tiny, you see them in your garden a lot. They're just as the little worm they're kind of related to to composting worms but not quite and they reproduce much faster so i literally had these things crawling out the air holes there's just a congealed mass of just crawling mass rather of these things all over the place coming out the holes and literally i have no idea how the worms survived somehow they did i probably removed the uh, rice at some point but it was that was my my real close call, and I think from that point on, I was kind of okay. I knew okay, moderation, don't add a lot of stuff, and everything kind of worked out okay from then. But yeah, that was <laughs> that was the closest one. And now I've, I've certainly killed many over the years. Don't get me wrong, but in terms of wiping out the entire population, that's probably the closest. All right. Yeah. So what? What kind of worms are we talking about here then? Because I, I guess, you know, you have your, your night crawlers and, and that's kind of what I grew up seeing in the in the garden and stuff. And I, I'm down in Georgia now and I, I don't see too many of those. We have some smaller ones that wriggle like crazy when you, when you dig them up and you poke them. And, you know, there's the little white ones that you'll see, you know, like you just explained there. Um, so what, what kind of worms are we talking about here, these, these composting worms? Because I, I assume it's just, you know, like one variety or one species or is there a whole mess of them and we just haven't uh you know the red ones are the are the best or whatever yeah well definitely there is a, a a main one there's the most common one this is the one that i would recommend anyone who's sort of heard of worm composting generally it's the one they've heard for, heard of and that would be the red worm and the red wiggler worm is another common name for that um Again, it's the most versatile, the most commonly used, and certainly if you're going to get started in vermicomposting, get yourself some red worms. That's a good way to get started. But generally speaking, it is a group of worms overall. They, they're known as the epigeic worms. I talked earlier about the anisic worms, which are the deeper burrowers, where the epigeic worms are the ones that live in this rich, rich organic matter. It's often up above soil level. So something like an, an old manure heap or like your compost pile. I mean, these are worms that are literally adapted, literally designed for life in these sort of transient habitats that can change very, very rapidly. So if it's hot, I mean, they can deal with that much better than a soil worm. If it's cold, they're, they're better at adapting to that. And they're, they're very, very fast. So they, they have to eat fast. They got to reproduce fast. They got to take advantage of these resources as quickly as they can. And that's what makes them so good at, you know, taking a bin full of, of your bedding and your, your waste materials and converting it into the compost and cocoons and everything else. So that would be the most common variety. Um, some of the other ones, if anyone who is, happens to be a fisherman or a fisher person, uh, the, the European Nightcrawler is an excellent choice. It's basically like the larger cousin of the red worm. It does most of the same things. It's a bit slower 
and it's a bit more temperamental. So, you know, you don't want to bang the bin too much. It's, it's, it's similar to some of the soil worms. It doesn't like vibration and it, they will literally come up and in some cases try to escape from the bin if there's a lot of vibration, whereas the, the red wiggle is much more mellow about that. And then there's the sort of tropical species. I don't tend to recommend them too much just because they have a, a temperature tolerance, you know, below about 50 degrees Fahrenheit or so, they can start to actually die off. So, you know, that's not quite as good for some of us who happen to have times of year where it's going to get a bit cooler. And they're fantastic. I mean, if you can, if you are in a subtropical or tropical region, um, in terms of waste process, processing and actual reproduction, you can't compare them just because they're, they're literally adapted for just cutting through waste and, and reproducing like crazy. But that's pretty much it. Like there, there aren't a ton. Like you say, there's not a ton of species. There's lots of epigeic species in the world. But in terms of the ones that have been kind of isolated as oh, these are the ones that are going to work well for worm composting, literally, I don't think, I can think of more than four or five species that uh, are, are the common ones. Okay. All right. And what's the the subtropical one, the the last one you talked about? What's that called? The, well, there's the African nightcrawler. Okay. And then that would be if you want something that's big. And this would probably be, well, 100% would be the most popular in terms of the tropical species. The other one's almost considered a pest worm. If you happen to, and you mentioned, you said you're in Georgia. I am, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you you order, if you ordered red worms from Georgia, or somewhere down south of there, there's a decent chance that you're actually going to end up with one of these other tropical worms, and that's the blue worm. The Perionix is the, the the Latin name, and these worms are they're crazy. They're insane. I don't like working with them, but they're invading worms. So if you have a red worm bed in a warm region, in a lot of cases, a lot of these worm farms down south end up invaded by these blue worms just because they're so prolific and they can actually literally dominate these red worm beds. So that's another one, but it's, it's one that I don't necessarily recommend just because, you know, unless you're really, really focused on casting production, it's, it's, yeah. 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 Not my favorite. I, I was talking to somebody not too long ago. Um, he's, uh, talking about his, his mushroom bins that he was putting together with wood chips to, to grow some, um, oyster mushrooms on. And, uh, as he'd said, I think that the, uh, some of the worms had got in and just like ate it up just, and I'm not sure. And he's down here in Alabama, I think. So, you know, I'm not sure if it was the red ones or, or the blue ones layer, like you described, but it sounded like they just went to town on it and uh, beat it up pretty good. But Oh, yeah. I mean, literally the, the starting culture, like he was trying to grow the, the mushrooms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, you know, he grows mushrooms and stuff, and, and he had some coolers full of, like, um, just cellulose and, and, and wood chips and stuff. And um, Oh, yeah. They they got in there and <laughs> had a time with it. <laughs> but, uh, so Yeah, well, and the funny thing is, I mean, on a, on a sort of positive side – if you take what you get after producing the mushrooms, I mean, that can actually be fantastic to then sort of transition into vermicomposting. But yeah, I bet if, if, if they see that sort of that rich stuff that you're using to grow the mushrooms and they get in there, yeah, it's, it can be game over. <laughs> you know, it might be a blue worms because they're, they're pretty fast. Yeah. Um, are, 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 do we have any, well, uh, 
I'll ask you that later. So why do we want to, why, why do we want to, um, get involved, get involved in, uh, in vermicomposting? Uh, what, what, what benefits does that give us? Why, you know, why should I bother? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the first level of that question would be, you know, why bother with composting at all? And I think, you know, this, this idea of all this organic waste, I think I've, I've seen numbers of 40, 50, 60% in some cases, incredibly, is somehow still ending up in the landfill. I don't know how that's possible, but it's insane the percentage of the waste stream that's still technically organic waste. And these are wastes that can be converted into some, you know, high value product, like a, a compost of, of some sort. And there's no reason that they should end up in the landfill. In terms of vermicomposting versus other forms of composting, and I, I would never say that vermicomposting is, oh, forget all these other things. Vermicomposting is the way to go. I like to think of it as a partner strategy, you know, just one of many different ways to to take these organic waste and convert them into something positive. I'm obviously biased and, and I see a lot of advantages, but you know, one of the, the really nice things about vermicomposting in comparison to say like hot composting, you know, your typical hot, hot composting pile, you need to get something like a cubic yard or a couple cubic yards in order to get that thermophilic heating going on in order to get it to work effectively. With worm composting, there's literally no limits to the scale. You can start in a tiny little tub all the way up to a massive production bed. And because these worms are doing so much of the work for you, and that's the other, another benefit right there. I mean, it's like having this little army of composters in there. <laughs> they're, they're mixing, they're aerating, they're fragmenting, they're, they're transporting those beneficial microbes all around the material. They're doing all the work that you would often have to do yourself if you're, you know, you're, with a tumbler, it's kind of easy. You just turn it and that helps. Or with a traditional pile, take your pitchfork, dig it around, and you, you got to get in there and it's labor. Obviously, you're not going to keep a, a compost pile in the middle of your apartment. But, but a worm bin, on the other hand, fits nicely on a shelf. Obviously, maybe not the same production level. You're not going to get the same amount, but it allows somebody to at least get the ball rolling, to feel like they're making progress. And, and the beauty of it is that you don't need a lot of vermicompost or worm castings to actually have a benefit. You can put a tiny amount in a potted plant in the bottom of a, of a planting hole, and it's, it's very, very potent in comparison to something like a bulk compost. So even an apartment dweller, I mean, they could still see a lot of benefits from that. So I think that's sort of like the big thing. I mean, there's other things. I think it's fun. I think it's, uh, I, I know you have a sort of homeschooling crowd here and it's, it's an amazing educational opportunity. There's something about worms and kids. I don't know. <laughs> the adults, they're not quite so sure about these, these slimy creatures, but kids, I mean, they get in there and they're, they want to see these worms. And it's, it's, it's different than looking at a heap of compost like you see these worms they're they're doing this work and like like it happened to me when i first saw my worm bin it's just this amazing thing that these worms are doing all this work so i mean that's yeah i think that's sort of that's some of the hits on some of the highlights anyway yeah yeah it's um 
tell you, we, we have a small bin and every time I go to open it up to feed them or to look at them, um, the kids are, are all over it. And, uh, it's cool, you know, because you, you do, you have, you can find every stage of life in, in a worm bin. Um, and you know, the process, the life cycle is, is so short, so quick that, you know, you can find that you can watch that. And that's, that's a huge thing for the kids. I think, you know, it's, it's, I don't know that, that science boiled down and, and, um, I don't know the, the kids appreciate it. They do. So it's, uh, it's good. But, um, Oh yeah. Yeah. And a lot of teachers I find, I mean, so many of the people that kind of get in touch or the people that, that buy worms, it's amazing how many of them are teachers. And I, and I can see why, I mean, you got your biology, you got your ecology, you got your recycling, potential tie-ins with agriculture, gardening. There's so many ways to, to kind of make a lesson out of it. And, you know, like you said, I mean, the kids are in, right in there and they love it. So yeah, good stuff. Yeah, they do. They do for sure. Um, so somebody wanted to get started or has been, I mean, like what, I know there's a good handful of, of, um, I don't know, bins or, or styles of bin, or I don't know, what do you, what do you call it? The different, different ways to, to grow your worms. Um, just your, your worm bins. You just your I worm bin, a, I guess. Okay, that's a good right. good way to get started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think my 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 overall recommendation is to keep it simple and to keep it inexpensive. And a lot of people, you know, you might suggest, okay, go out and buy one of these fancy stacking bins or you know one of these other fancy home systems. In all honesty, it is as much as I think people will fall in love with this process, you kind of want to make sure that you're going to fall in love with the process. So, I mean, you can literally get started with a Rubbermaid tub, a Rubbermaid roughneck tub. That's sort of my favorite go-to bin. Spend less than 10 bucks, get a bin that's sort of the size of, of one of those blue box type of recycling bins and with a lid, put some air holes in it. And away you go. You know, you can get a culture of worms. Probably, you could probably be up and running for less than 50 bucks. And so I think, I think that's the best way to go. Because then, you know what, if, you, if it doesn't really pan out or if there's something that, 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 that happens that makes you not want to continue on, at least you haven't, you know, spent a ton of money on it. And it's amazing how effective some of these bin systems can be. Now, they can actually be the best form of training in a sense because because they keep so much moisture in and the airflow isn't quite as good as some other approaches it can be you know highly valuable learning experience and if you can make it through i i've literally there's a quote i I don't have it memorized but the worm farming expert from you know 30 years or more said something along the lines of if you can be successful with a plastic home worm bin you can operate a worm farm of any size. And, and I literally agree because it's just, it's so concentrated and, and there's these, these limitations with those bins. But if you do it right, I mean, it can be very, very easy and, and a straightforward, straightforward approach. Yeah. Yeah. We are, we've, we've tried worms twice and our first bins, bins, I guess we had two of them. We had built like a, I don't know, it was probably a, a one by like a foot it was a foot square and it was probably i don't know three feet tall we put like sacks in them 
and we put the worms in there and uh it didn't work for us didn't work for us but then a couple of years later we tried uh, a couple five gallon buckets um you know drilled holes in the top of the the lid and in the bottom of the one bucket and stacked it inside the next one and that's what we've been working with and it's it seems to go all right and it's you know i mean the didn't cost anything um you know pretty cheap so yeah absolutely now, the one thing I, I would probably say about that i didn't mention um surface area to depth ratio i mean don't get hung up on the technicalities of it it sounds complicated but just the basic idea is if you can have more surface area and and not too much depth that can really help like the problem with the plastic is like i said it's just going to keep that moisture in it's tough to get the airflow and so what can often happen um, with some of the systems, I think you got the right idea because you, you know, with the stacking system, it allows them to kind of move up and out of maybe the really wet zones down below. But in terms of, of actually producing the compost, you really need an, an aerobic process. So some of these plastic bins, the challenge can be, you know, everything gets a bit swampy over time especially in cases where people don't put the proper air holes. I actually, honestly, I like having one of those plastic bins without any lid on it. You know, put a bit of straw, some thick bedding or something on top. And it's amazing just how much of a difference that can make, even even versus a, a lid with a bunch of holes in it. But yeah, in terms of the bu- buckets is a common choice and it makes sense just because they're so readily available. But that's the one challenge that some people may, may encounter, especially and don't ever leave a bucket outside, <laughs> tell you that much, you know, <laughs> rain pouring in and everything else. Um, yeah, it's just sort of, the, you do want to try to keep it as aerobic as you possibly can. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh it's a trick. I mean, I wasn't growing worms, but we had a, a little compost bucket that was out of a, a Rubbermaid bucket, and it got it got a little wet, and uh, it just it turns into this just anaerobic mess, and it just stinks, and it's like impossible to you know do anything with because it's all it, it's and it's super heavy because it's all full of water, you know. But um, I don't know. So um, how how big is your so you? I don't know, I guess you started growing worms 20 years ago. How how long did it take you to kind of, I don't know, expand or to to start doing what you're doing now? Because now you got a you got a big, you know, a bunch of content on your website. Um, you sell worms. You you know, I mean, you you know all this stuff about worms. Um, when did you start kind of stepping it up, or or was it just a, a slow process over the years? Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's a very slow process. Um, I mean, I, I started with that little bin. I, I moved it to the sort of next size up of some sort of Rubbermaid tub of some sort. Um, I'm not 100% sure how it transitioned immediately after that. But gradually, you know, various different bigger systems. I started trying outdoor systems and it's, it's fluctuated. I'll be totally honest. It, your, your, your life situation can, can have a big influence <laughs> on, you know, how crazy you're going to get with, with, with your worm composting efforts. But I mean, if you give these worms a chance and you have the space and you have the desire, you'd be amazed at how quickly you could expand into 
a massive operation, literally. I mean, their reproductive capacity is unlike any other kind of, you know, quote unquote, livestock that that you could possibly raise. So, to, I mean, I'm sure there are other organisms that reproduce more quickly, but but it's just, I mean, if you do have the space, you do have the resources, everything else. But the beauty of it is it's sort of, it works exactly, you know, whatever your life is ready for, the worms will adapt. You know, you let them crowd in one little bin, they will be fine. It's, there's no such thing as, as a bin that's going to have worms crawling out of it because it's so overloaded. They, they kind of regulate themselves. But if you're ready to expand, start putting them in a bunch of different systems and it's just like one of these natural manure heaps or these natural systems where they that population is just going to explode. So, you know, I again, I've had these various times. I mean, I went to, I went back to school literally because of my, you know, obsession with this. I mean, I had I was aquatic biology when I first started way back when, and then I got you know working and everything, and then got familiar with these worms, and I went back to school for plant science, soil science, compost science, all this sort of stuff, and even got started on a master's degree program, didn't end up going so well, but <laughs> it, w- it was even focused on working with these worms, believe it or not. So, so all these different things. And then I went through these, these uh, burnout periods where it's just, you know, I had whatever else, you know, going on. And, and so it, it would kind of slow down, but I always had at least some cultures of worms somewhere. You know, and that's what I recommend for anybody. Just keep something going on. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be a high pressure thing. You don't have to feed it all the time. It's amazing how easy it is to to keep a culture of worms versus, you know, a big active system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're, um, they go, it's it's really, it's, it's, I mean, I have, we have a a small population of worms, um, you know, but it it doesn't take a whole lot. It's not, you know, like uh, like a a goat or a chicken that you got to go out and feed like every day, water it every day. You know, you, you, <laughs> you can kind of let it go for a little while. You know, a couple of days yeah. here and there, three, four days, and you know, as long as you're you're getting them, feeding them, they're uh, they're all right. They're all right. But um, yeah. Oh, well, that's that's exactly it. I mean, you you can and, and what I try to sort of encourage people to get in their heads is this idea of neglecting a worm population as long as you have the bedding is really important it's one thing that people kind of forget about but something like a paper shredded shredded cardboard something like this if you have that in your system and you have a lot of that in your system it's almost impossible to starve your worms so you know i had this experiment there's the insurance bin system that i came up with just i wanted to show people that you know no matter how badly almost you neglect your bin, your bins as long as you keep them in a sort of climate c- controlled environment. The temperature is is going to definitely have an impact, but as long as you have a lot of that bedding and you keep them somewhere safe and you've given them at least some food, it, you can literally lead them for months and months and months. Most people get it. You make the opposite mistake. They think, okay, this is my pet, this is my goat, this is my what my cat, whatever. I gotta take care of it every day. I gotta open up the bin every day and add food every day. And I just I want to nurture this thing. And they kill the things because they're they're too caring. Like they 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 want to take too much care of it. But these worms, honestly, if you leave them, give them what they need, leave them go, and 
Yeah, you can keep them going for years and years. That's what I that's what I did. We had bees one year and um that's what I did, I think. I, I killed them with love. I opened them up too much and, and played with them too much because I, I wanted to <laughs> check on them and make sure, you know, and, and yeah. It's hard with the worms too because I want to I want to go look at them. I want I want to see what they're doing, you know. I wanna, but Yeah, and I don't want to get the impression that I mean, especially with the red worms, they're very mellow, they're easy going. Don't don't let that stop you from opening up the bin, kind of digging around a bit and everything else, but just, you know, look at them, dig around, see how they're doing, but just don't obsess about, okay, I got to add a pound of a pound of <laughs> food mix, you know, every single day or anything. You're going to get yourself into trouble way faster doing that than just kind of leaving them be. Yeah. Yeah. What what would you say is the most um important factor, I guess, or, um, yeah, I guess most important factor when it comes to, to growing worms, is it the, the housing, the moisture, the, you know, overpopulation, food, what temperature, I mean, what, what's the most important thing to, to. Yeah, that's a good question. Then there's, there's things that I would consider to be factors and then there's things that I would consider to be like really common mistakes that people make. So in terms of, of just the core factors that you really, really need to pay attention to, uh, this is what I call the moisture-oxygen balance. Again, don't take that too seriously and think it's <laughs> like some kind of scientific thing with an equation and everything else. Literally, it's just because moisture and oxygen are so closely related, like what we were talking about earlier, if you, if you end up with a bin that's getting swampy and, you know, tons of water. The problem with water is that it doesn't hold oxygen the same way that air does, obviously. So, and especially when you have a water or liquid that's full of all this organic stuff. I mean, you talk about biological oxygen demand. Again, another technical term, but it's just this idea that these microbes are going to use up that resource super quickly. They're going to use up the oxygen and it's going to end up this nasty, smelly, anaerobic mess. And so you want to really try to avoid too much moisture, but then obviously you also need some moisture. I mean, these are earthworms. They depend on a film of water around their skin in order for you know oxygen exchange, gas exchange in general, all these sorts of important things. This is probably the most important organ of of a worm is is the skin so you have to you do have to take care of them so it's that kind of balance like you don't want to let things go too far in the dry direction but then you definitely don't want to go in the other direction so that's number one uh, number two would be temperature 100 percent. and this is one i mean i don't know if i would say it's the absolutely most important thing in the world but probably one of the most common things that that can lead to problems people just don't learn or they forget about the fact that these are living organisms and as tough as they are compared to soil worms if you get up past the sort of 90 fahrenheit you know 30 whatever degrees celsius range you're going to start to get into a point where and even with the tropical worms that's the funny thing they're they're pretty much exactly the same they have you know, less tolerance at the lower end, but pretty much the exact same tolerance at the upper end. And it's just sort of up in the 90s. It's going to really start to stress them out. And eventually, they're not going to be able to handle it if if you can't find a way to kind of cool them off. So anybody that has to put a system outside, 
please don't put a plastic worm bin, especially not a black plastic worm bin out on your deck or anything like this in the summer heat, especially not, you know, 100 degree weather, 90 degree weather, because ambience, one thing, but then you've got solar radiation, you've got microbial heating, all this stuff that can happen. So there's, there's lots of strategies for outdoor systems. In-ground system is a prime example um, of, of a way to compensate and to protect them. But yeah, so that would be number two, obviously on the cold end as well, but it tends to be heating that is probably more of a concern. Uh, and then, you know, you do need some food. Right. I, I'm sort of cautious about, you know, oh, they need food because then it comes back to this discussion we just had. You know, people get this idea, oh, I got to feed them all the time. But obviously they need some nutrition, but they almost as importantly or just as importantly, they need a, a safe habitat. And I think that's one that a lot of newcomers forget about. You have this idea, okay, these, they process waste, they can live in waste. And in some cases, that is true. It totally depends on the waste, something like horse manure is kind of like the ultimate habitat and food. But for the most part, for the average person setting up a worm bin, you absolutely need to have a safe, habit, safe habitat and something like the shredded cardboard, the newsprint, some sort of a bedding material is going to really help in that department. So those are sort of the, the big things. And in terms of the mistakes, I think we've kind of covered it, overfeeding. <laughs> Yeah. Big mistake. Like you don't want to add too, too much. If as long as you have the bedding, a tiny amount of food or even a modest amount of food with, with all the other factors considered and you should be good to go. Yeah. Yeah. That too much food thing, you know, uh, they, they, if they can't eat it, um, something else is going to eat it, you know, whether that's a uh, mold yeah. or, or unwanted pests or whatever. And that, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Starts starts stinking, but um, you talked about um outdoor worm bins or or putting it outside. Um, do you how I don't know the, the so you talk about trench trench um bins or trench uh, what you what, what's it called I, I don't recall vermicomposting trench yeah I guess that's what this is how it, what you called it. All right. I thought I had a fancier name than that. I don't know. Trent. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that, I mean, um, how does that work then? Cause you're not, are they still contained? Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good question. A lot of, that's one of the, the, the funny, I've been totally obvious and makes total sense concerns that people have is they think, okay, you know, you have your worm bins as a plastic thing. They're not, you know, they're, they're stuck in there. They're not going to get anywhere. Once, once you put them out in that, that soil environment, um, naturally this, this idea of, of the worms wanting to leave and, and to go, and I mean, trust me, there are mm -hmm. situations where they might want to leave, but, uh, <laughs> that's only when you're, when you're not doing it properly. No, the, the soil is fantastic. It's, it's amazing how much of a buffer it can provide for environmental extremes. So really, really hot weather really, really cold weather, you have them in any kind of in-ground system. And it doesn't have to be a full-on crazy trench either, like something just like pretty much any outdoor system out in your yard, I would recommend digging some kind of, of depression or pit underneath. And so something like a backyard composter, um, 
anything I've vermicomposting planter is another system that I've sort of got going. And of course, you know, your typical, your typical vermicomposting trenches, you, you get that depression down below the ground. And just, you know, once you start digging down, you can start to feel just how much of a difference there is in terms of temperature compared to, to ambient. So it, it, what this does is it gives them a place to go. If it's super cold or if it's super hot, they, all they have to do is go further down into this depression and they're going to be protected from a lot of these extremes. So that's like the big, the big sort of power and potential of this type of system. There's a whole other level when you start integrating these types of systems with plant growing. So if you have your garden next to a vermicomposting trench or even, even a backyard composter for that matter, and it's got this sort of in-ground system, those plant roots can extend into, into the pit, into the trench, and they can start to extract benefits without you having to do anything. You don't need to harvest the castings and do anything like that. So it's this beautiful kind of integrated system and everything works out really, really well. That's cool. That's really, and and how, did you, how did you kind of figure that out? Well, <laughs> oh yeah. And like a lot of things in my life, it was just like this really dumb idea, basically. It, it was probably about just over 10 years ago now. Uh, I was actually the funny thing is the same year that I started up my own worm farming business. I guess I was just kind of, you know, feeling optimistic and wanting to really get a jump start. And I approached this incredibly popular local restaurant, probably one of the most popular restaurants in our region about taking all of their compostable food waste without thinking about it. Just like, yes, I would like to take all of your, don't tell me how much, just I'm going to take all of it. And I live in the suburbs. I, you know, I lived in the suburbs back then. I still live in the suburbs. And I had it in my head that I was going to take all of the compostable food waste from this most popular restaurant in the region and do something with it on my suburban property. So I had you know, I felt pretty cool. I had like three composters or something in the backyard and you in worm bins and this sort of idea inside and everything else. But I was clueless. Like I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And looking back, I mean, I shake my head. I'm, I'm happy about it at the same time, but it's, it, was, it was ridiculous. So anyway, it turned out to be literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds of, I mean, that alone, like the logistics of driving my car and I'm not a truck. I, you know, I've never had a truck. I drive my car over, pick up these plastic bins, put them in my car. Of course they love the idea. It's like, yeah. Oh yeah, sure. We don't have to pay and <laughs> pay to take, the, get this stuff taken away. Yeah. We're on board whatever. Yeah. You know what you're talking about. So taking this stuff, hundreds of pounds of food waste and you know, first phase yeah this is great i'm filling up my my backyard systems everything's working fine yada 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 and that that didn't that didn't last long next thing i was digging holes all over my all over my yard like literally going around like a squirrel digging these tiny little holes and just chucking the stuff in and so wait a minute that lasted a, a little bit i found spots and i was pretty creative about it and whatever and then it got to the point where okay I'm, I'm screwed. <laughs> I'm in real trouble here. I, I don't really have any good spots for these little holes and these systems are, are overloaded big time. It's not even aerobic composting anymore. This is, this is a real problem. So everything started accumulating in these holding bins, these plastic holding bins, middle of the summer by this point. And 
it was a nightmare. I mean, I literally walked out into my backyard, was hit with a stench of, of despair and, and rot, rotting food waste. And I was literally terrified. I was sure that, you know, van was going to pull up the dark van, people, sunglasses, they were going to throw me in and that would be the end of it. But anyway, I had this just a desperate moment. I thought, okay, I've been digging these little holes. Why don't I dig this gigantic trench in the middle of my garden? You know, at least it's one big giant thing. I'll toss everything in, you know, maybe I'll just uh, cancel the whole project. At least I'm, I'm okay. Like I've taken care of it. Yada, yada, yada. And as it turns out, I had a whole bunch of cardboard and paper waste um, at the time. And so I started thinking about it a bit more reasonably. And I thought, oh, at least maybe I should put that in there. Maybe try to make some sort of composting system out of it. And of course, you know, me being me, somehow add the worms at some point as well. So anyway, some desperate day, I, I went very, very quickly, dug this thing and started layering this paper waste, this, this shredded cardboard with this nasty waste all the way up to the top. And the amazing thing is everything fit in. I mean, I had tons of this waste and a lot of this, this uh, paper waste, everything fit in. I was able to get a, a bunch of cover bedding on top as well and it didn't even smell like that was right off the bat I was like holy smokes I got all this waste doesn't smell this is a miracle (laughs) but this thing was right beside a bed of tomato plants and I can't remember 100% I'm sure I was thinking of it semi like maybe we'll see what happens but the absolute like it just boggles my mind to this day how the garden responded to this trench that was sitting in beside it, like the explosion of growth and like nothing I've ever seen before. I mean, this is the best garden I've ever had in my life right up to that point for sure. I mean, I've been, I've been decent gardener at that point, but suddenly I felt like I was like some kind of, uh, you know, green thumb pro or something. (laughs) And I expanded. I mean, I, I started doing more trenches, more gardens. I didn't cancel the project. Eventually, I did. I mean, it got to the point where, you know, if it's October, September, October, I knew, okay, you know, climate and the weather is going to have a major impact on the, the productivity. But no, I mean, it was, it was just like trying to solve a problem. And it, it ended up working out far better than, than I would have imagined. That's great, man. That's that's a great story. I just I, I can just imagine it. You know, the neighbors neighbors thinking you're burying a body out there digging digging this little <laughs> trench. You know? Yeah. Crazy no, I felt like that. Worms. I mean, it's not that's serious. That's, oh man, that's great. That's great. Well, um, I know you got to go. I, I appreciate your time today. Um, if somebody wants to get started with worms, whether it's um, learning or or picking up a bin or purchasing some worms um tell them where they can go yeah redwormcomposting.com is my now i'm sort of in a a funny position i live in canada i'm canadian but a lot of my audience is u.s based and you you probably noticed that talking in fahrenheit and everything i'm just i'm so used to addressing a u.s audience and so redworm composting is is sort of a primarily u.s focused i work with a a u.s drop shipper and and, and whatnot. And we do the, the one system that I do sell. Um, my, my basic recommendation, as I've said already, for anybody who's just getting started, like 
honestly, I'm not going to say, yeah, go buy this expensive bin. I'm going to say, go and grab a Rubbermaid tub, spend, bend a few bucks, cut some holes in it. You're undercutting get, yourself, get the, man. Get to do the basics. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, the, the, the one system that I do sell, um, the one system that I'm sort of, I guess, kind of passionate about from uh, on a home level uh, it's, it's called the Urban Worm Bag, and it's very similar to one that I used to sell called the Worm In. And this is what's known as a single compartment flow-through system. And, and what I love about these systems, it, it, everybody knows about the stacking bins. And it, it, you go out, you buy the Worm Factory, um, these different things. And I'm, I'm not here to slam them. I'm not here to say that nobody should ever buy them. They're a good system. And if you're just getting started and you happen to have one, then by all means, you know, take advantage of it. What I love about the single compartment flow through is it's such a simpler process. I mean, it's all in one simple bag in this case. Mm -hmm. um, you set it up just sort of in a similar manner. You have this huge volume in comparison to one of these trays in, in one of these stacking bins. And it's just, it's much more of a natural thing. It's much more similar to what might happen in a natural system. And very simple process. You, you kind of build it up, build it up, build it up. You start with what's known as a false bottom, lots of cardboard and whatnot down at the bottom. And then by the time the level gets up close to the top, a lot of that stuff down at the bottom, not necessarily at the very bottom, but close to the bottom will have been converted into the vermicompost. And by that point, you can start to, to harvest. And it can be, it's sort of like priming the pump. Like once you get to that point, you can then kind of harvest on a, on a periodic basis. And it's, it's a bit easier than like the bins that I recommend. That kind of requires more of a dump and sort type of harvesting approach. You know, light harvesting is a common one. The worms dive down as you scrape away the material because they, they don't like light. But uh, with this, I mean, you literally just scrape it out of the bottom and yeah, it's, 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 it's a pretty easy system, but again, you know, it's you know, probably a hundred bucks, more than a hundred bucks to get started for something like that. So the basic Rubbermaid tub is never a bad way to get started. All right. Well, you, you should get a, an Amazon link or something to, uh, to Rubbermaid tubs then if, if you're going to push that. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right so I'll, i will link to that in the show notes to your website um and they can people can get worms from from you um the red wigglers and uh it is it's it's fun it's one of those things it's it's fun to have around and um yeah you get something out of it in the end and and it helps take care of some of your your food waste some of your you know paper waste so yeah and one thing we did we didn't get onto and who knows? Maybe, maybe in another uh, episode or something, is the entrepreneurial side. This is something you know. I know you have the the homesteading crowd. A lot of these people are are part of your your community, and you know, like I said, it's sort of like the ultimate livestock. I'm biased, but you know, these worms, especially what's amazing about them, it's not like a standalone thing necessarily. You know, they're great on their own, but when you team up these composting worms with something like the goats or the rabbits or any of these other types of livestock that people like to keep. I mean, you got huge potential right there because they eat the crap. I mean, they, yeah. they literally eat the waste of these other animals. And we've already talked about it, you know, all the advantages of the worms themselves. So, you know, anyway, that's something, you know, we'll explore in another time, but just something to consider. Yeah, I, I, I wish we could have got into that one. I have to have you back on, but... Um... 
All right, man. Well, I, I appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming on. I'll, I'll put all those links in the show notes. Do you love freedom? Do you love songs? Do you want to love all 365 days in a year? If you're anything like me, the simple answer is yes. And Freedom Song 365 can deliver all of these things. When you sign up for Freedom Song 365, you will receive an email every day that delves into the different ways freedom and liberty are messaged in a massive catalog of music. Each message is carefully crafted into easily consumable paragraphs that give you the necessary information to share with your friends. I've been receiving Freedom Song 365 emails every day of 2019, and I've yet to be disappointed. But really, why should I be? With the fabulous minds of Nikki P. from the Sounds Like Liberty podcast, my guest from episode 4, Sherry Voluntary, and the wonderful Luke Tatum of the Culture of Peace podcast, there's more brain power utilized in the creation of each individual Freedom Song 365 email than is proffered in a whole day at any DMV across the country. Head on over to freedomsong365.com and sign up today to start receiving your daily emails of musical integrity. Use the promo code HOMESTEAD and you'll receive 15% off the superb service. Again, that's freedomsong365.com, promo code HOMESTEAD for 15% off. Worms. What isn't there to love about worms? Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope... uh, my, my discussion with uh, Red Worm in the beginning wasn't wasn't too much for y'all to handle, um, but, uh, you know, he, he stopped in, so I had to entertain him. Um, if you like this show, if you want to see it grow, if you can you can share the links. You can go share it on, on Facebook, social media, the like, all in there. And uh, use the Amazon link, homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash Amazon. It doesn't cost you anything, but I do get a, a small sliver of something from them, which is, is nice. And, uh, you can always go to Patreon, patreon.com slash the Liberty Hippie and, um, yeah, support the show that way you get some, some free merch and, and stuff. So I also, I really do encourage you if it, it, it doesn't matter where you are, um, you can do red worm composting. It's, uh, you can do it in an apartment. You can do it in the, in the middle of nowhere. You can, doesn't matter. You can do it everywhere. So, uh, get into that. It's, it's pretty cool. And uh, I'm am hoping to have uh, Bentley back in sometime. I'm not sure exactly when um, in, in the nearest future. And uh, you won't want to miss that because I, I think we'll be talking about how how to actually go about trying to to uh, make profit, either selling worms or or um, selling castings and that business. So come back, and uh, you will hear that in the future. So hit the subscribe button, and then you won't miss it. So uh, you know. Get out there, sow those seeds of liberty. We can all reap sheaves of freedom together. Ride